Hi everyone, welcome back to Understand the Bible and in this new series we're going to be thinking about justification. Now you might be thinking, what is justification? Well, it's a really important issue for Christians to understand and think about and yet I think a lot of Christians don't really spend very much time thinking about it and thinking about what it means and that's why I decided to do this series. It's a truth which they really rediscovered at the time of the Reformation about 500 years ago and it's a truth which they began to understand was so fundamental to the church and so fundamental for the church to be based upon. In fact, it, it has been called the cornerstone of the Reformation. Let me read you a quote from Mike Reeves' book, Freedom Movement. It's just a little booklet about the Reformation and it's, it's really good, actually. If you don't know uh, the history of the Reformation, then read this book and it will really help you to, to understand. But let me read you what, how he begins this book. This is what he says at the start. The secret was this. Failing, broken people are not loved because they are attractive, said Martin Luther. They are attractive because they are loved. That could not be more countercultural. It is deep in our blood today that the more attractive we make ourselves, the more loved and happy we will be. The Reformation is the story of one man discovering to his delight that with God it is the other way round. God does not love people because they have sorted themselves out. He loves failures and that love makes them flourish. God loves failures. That's the, the wonderful truth behind justification. And that is why it's so important to look at, you know, because to realise that we're not loved because we sort ourselves out, but God loves us and that love makes us flourish. That's the wonderful truth of justification and that's why it's so important to be looking at it. And we're going to be doing that by looking at a document that was produced at the time of the Reformation. We're going to be looking at some of the 39 articles. Those are part of the Church of England's uh, foundational documents and um, justification was one of the big issues at the time and that's why there are uh, some of them. So that's why we're going to be going back 500 years. But it's 500 years ago, it's still so relevant to us today and so important to understand. So I hope that's kind of um, whetted your appetite to want to find out more. And today, in this video, we're going to be focusing on original sin. Now, original sin, I'm not talking about the song by the Eurythmics. Well, I was born an original sinner. I was born from original sin. I'm talking about the theological concept. Now, I think a lot of people have an intuitive understanding of original sin. In fact, I think everyone has an intuitive understanding of original sin, even if they can't necessarily articulate it. Now, I think, for example, of parents with young children. You know, we've got a two-year-old in the house at the moment. And one of the things that you find out pretty quick with young children is you don't have to teach them to disobey you. You don't have to teach them to be a monkey, uh, which as Zoe is at the moment. You know, the terrible twos are a, a real phenomenon. There is something about growing up which makes two-year-olds want to be uncooperative, which makes two-year-olds want to, to run away from you and not do what you're asking. And where does she get it from? You know, I do, she doesn't get it from me. You know, I very rarely leave the house refusing to, to put my trousers on or something like that. Um, where does she get it from? It just sort of happens. And that's just human nature, isn't it? Now, if you've got any experience of human beings, then you'll know that we're not perfect. And then you'll know that there is something wrong with us, which seems to go pretty deep, 
which just seems to happen even though we might try really hard uh, to, to get out of it. Now why is it so hard to break out of bad habits? Why is it so hard to change? Now why is it that New Year's resolutions don't really stick? All of those are questions which are kind of bound up with original sin and which original sin will help to answer those kind of things. So that's why it's, it's important to look at this topic. And the deeper question really is, are we basically good people? You know, is sin just a matter of making poor choices and we are free to make better choices if we wanted to? Or does sin kind of affect us more deeply than that? That's what we're really going to be thinking about in this video. And to do that, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 5. We won't read the whole chapter or the whole, uh, whole text, but if you want to get a grasp of it, then I'll put the link down below as usual. Please do go and pause this video or, or the podcast if you're listening. Go have a read. Um, Romans chapter 5 verses uh, 12 to 21. And that's what we're going to be focusing on. But I'll just pick out some of the, the key verses for this for this sort of um, topic. So this is what Paul says then. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. I think what Paul says is, is pretty, pretty surprising here really, isn't it? You think about it, that sin and death enter the world through one man and then this spread to all people. Why is that? Because Paul says, because all sinned. Do you find that a little bit strange? Thinking, well, how does one man lead to, to all people sinning? Well, this is the thing that because Adam sinned, we all did. And what happened when Adam first sinned and you think about that in Genesis, we read about that in Genesis chapter 3, it's called the fall of man. When Adam first sinned, it introduced a corruption into human nature and that is called original sin. And what it means is that we are not neutral or, or basically good. We don't start out from a position of being able to choose the good and just simply being able to do what is right. But we actually have a corruption in our human nature, which means that we desire the wrong things. Now, ever since that moment in Genesis 3, all of our, our, our sort of human nature, our desires, what we want, it's been corrupted. So not so that we are 100% bad, but rather that everything has been tainted by sin. So that is why, for example, Paul can write in Galatians chapter 5 from verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what Paul says is that there is a kind of the, the desires of the flesh, as he calls it, that is our natural human desires are, they've all gone wrong. And um, if you follow them to their logical conclusion, you end up with drunkenness, with orgies, with uh, all sorts of things. 
you know, that we want the wrong things. Ever since the fall, that's what human nature has been like. And we do disguise it as human beings. We learn to control it. And that's part of the thing, I think, with two-year-olds, that they're, you see it with a two-year-old human nature in the raw. And they haven't learnt yet to, um, the, the consequences of, of following their own desires all the time. Uh, and we learn to hide it, don't we, as we grow up. But actually, we do have those desires. And if you leave someone to themselves, then and, and you give them kind of unlimited power to do whatever they want without the consequences, they would start following their own desires rather than all of the, the, the good things that God wants us to do to love him and to love others. That's the corruption of human nature. And this is what it says about it in article. This is article nine of the 39 articles. And it's, I'm reading a modern language edition, which is published by the Church Society. This is what it says. Original sin is found, uh, not found merely in the following of Adam's example, as the Pelagians foolishly say. It is rather to be seen in the fault and corruption which is found in the nature of every person who is naturally descended from Adam. The consequence of this is that man is far gone from his original state of righteousness. In his own nature he is predisposed to evil, the sinful nature in man always desiring to behave in a manner contrary to the spirit. In every person born into this world there is found this predisposition which rightly deserves God's anger and condemnation. Now those are pretty hard words but they're really important to, to say that sin is not just following a bad example. Sin is not just seeing someone else do sin and think, oh, I want to do that. That's not what, what little children do. No, they sin and they go uh, their own way because that's in their nature. And it's in all of our natures to want to go the wrong way. And it may affect us all in different ways. Perhaps for you, it's a different way to me. But for, for all of us, it is there that our disposition in nature is towards what is sinful and what is away from God. That we don't look to what is right, we look to what is wrong by nature. And that the extent of sin is such that it's even that we are born guilty. You know, you think of, for example, Psalm 51, verse 5, surely I was sinful at birth, you know, in sin my mother conceived me. And the extent of our sin even extends to, to little children, even extends to, to those who haven't yet been born. Because it's not to do with um, the things that we do, but it's to do with the nature that we have, our desires, where we've gone wrong, what we want. That is where sin lies. And what this means is that we need more than a better example. We need a saviour. We need someone who can actually save us from our sins, save us from ourselves and do what we cannot do. Because we, as I've said, we are powerless to do anything about this, this original sin, this corruption in our nature. And this is what Paul goes on to say. Let me read you another couple of verses from a bit later on in the chapter, uh, verses 18 and 19. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. So what Paul does is he contrasts two men here. Contrasts Adam and Christ and says Christ undoes what Adam did. 
So it says, just as sin entered the world through one man, so also life enters the world through one man. So you think about the things that Adam did and they think about what Christ does and he's, he's undoing what Adam did. So Jesus brings justification. Now, whereas Adam sinned and made us all guilty, Jesus brings us justification. He makes us right with God. And that's what that word means, really, justification. It means being made right with God, being accounted not guilty, you know, having done what is right instead of what is wrong. Sometimes people say, just as if I'd never sinned. I think you can go even further than that, actually, and say it's just as if I'd always kept the law, just as if I'd always done what is right. That's what, what justification means. Uh, Jesus brings life rather than death. You know, through Adam, death entered the world. Through Jesus, life enters the world. And we're righteous before God. You know, unlike in Adam, we are uh, sinful. In Christ, we are righteous before God. It's like we've, we've lived that righteous life, that perfect life, which we cannot live ourselves, but Jesus Christ did live. But when we come to Christ, that doesn't solve all the problems, or at least there is still the problem of our sin remaining. Let me read you the second part of what it says in the, the article, Article 9. This infection within man's nature persists, even within those who are regenerate. This desire of the sinful nature um, uh, is not under control of God's law. Although there is no condemnation for those that believe and are baptised, nevertheless the Apostle states that any such desire is sinful. So what this means is that being a Christian is a struggle. Now, when you come to Jesus for forgiveness, you are clothed with his righteousness, but it doesn't eliminate our sinful nature there and then. It doesn't change us, you know, kind of like that. We need a time and over time, by the grace of God, through the Holy Spirit, we do grow in holiness. We do grow in doing what God wants us to do, in, in loving him and in loving others. But it doesn't happen overnight. And that original sin will persist until the day we die, we're with God, we're uh, you know, completely uh, healed of that disease of, of original sin. We're given a new nature. But in this lifetime, we are being transformed. And, and this is why, I think just an encouragement, that if you're finding the Christian life a struggle with sin, if you're finding it a battle, then yes, that's what it's, that's what it's meant to be like. That is the, that's, that's what God said the life would be like. We're constantly trying to battle against sin. We're constantly fighting against our nature. But by the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can make progress in that battle and we can uh, win out and we can start to do what is right. So yes, we still have original sin, but we can make progress in the battle against it in this lifetime. And that's what we're supposed to do with God as Christians. Let's draw a few conclusions from this. The first thing is that good people or people you think of as good are not really good. There's a moment in the Gospels where Jesus says, uh, uh, someone calls uh, Jesus good teacher and Jesus replies to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And this is the thing that the people who we think of as good still have this corruption of original sin. And the, the problem is that it, it affects everyone. We can be pretty good at hiding it. 
you know, some people might do a lot for charity, they might help with all, all sorts of things, give to the community and be friendly and, and all those kind of things, which are all good things, but they still have that corruption of original sin. And if they do not turn to Christ, then that is of no value to them, all the good things that they do. That no one is good, no one is good enough. All of us have that corruption in our nature and we'll think more about that over the next few weeks as well. No one is good. That's the important thing to remember. The second thing to remember is that our only saviour is Jesus Christ. Now we live in a world where a lot of different things are offered as, as saviours. You know, lots of different religions, of course. Um, we're more aware of that now, I think, because of the internet, because of the media. But Jesus is the only one who died for our sins. He's the only one who was qualified to meet that need to take away our sin. And he's the only saviour who exists. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we can be saved. That's what it says in, in the book of Acts. And it's really important to remember that Jesus is our only saviour, the only one who can meet our deepest need. I don't know if you know that hymn, There is a Green Hill Far Away. I remember singing that when I was a child and it, it really stuck with me. But there's a verse in that hymn, there was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. Only Jesus can deal with it. And as Paul says in this passage, you know, there's that contrast between being in Christ and being in Adam. And people are it really is binary. It is either one or the other. We're either in Adam and we have the, the penalty of sin. We're still under the curse. We are still under uh, slavery to sin and, and all of those things. Or we're in Christ and we, you know, instead of death, we, we have life. Uh, we look to eternal life and we look to uh, gradually becoming more holy and more righteous. Uh, as we walk with God by the power of the Holy Spirit. But it is a choice. You know, we either, we're either in Adam or we're in Christ. That is the, the choice that we have. It's, there's no middle ground at the end of the day, either in Adam or in Christ. Which one is it for you? And the final thing is that we can only deal with sin in God's strength, not ours. Really important thing to remember this, because I think so often we try to deal with sin on our own terms and we think, I'll just try harder. I'll just try, like, like making resolutions, like making New Year's resolutions. I'll just try harder. But the thing is that that doesn't really work, does it? Now, if sin is this kind of original sin, is that corruption of our nature, then only Jesus can bring healing through that. Only the Holy Spirit can help us day by day. And this is, again, something that we're going to be coming on to more over the next few weeks. So I hope that you found this video helpful in beginning to understand what justification is and why it's important. And I hope that you'll join us again for the next, uh, next videos in this series in thinking through what it means and what it means for us, changing the way that we think about ourselves, the way that we think about God, understanding how much he loves us and all of those things. So thanks very much for watching and I hope to see you uh, again for the next video or the next podcast very soon. Thanks very much and God bless.